For the last uh, three weeks or so, we've had uh, an Ask Pastor Matthew time on Sunday afternoons at 4 o'clock. Uh, we're not going to be doing that because I'm going to be eating lots of food. Uh, so if you join me at International Taste of Boca, you can certainly ask me a question and I will probably ignore you. Uh, <laughs> Next week, however, we will be back together, and uh, we're going to continue a couple more weeks of the Ask Pastor Matthew time, uh, which is just a chance for us to get to know each other and uh, me answer any questions that you might have about what we're doing as a church family. We've been in this series called Elements, which uh, is out, uh, laying out for us uh, some of the basics of what church life is. I'm thinking about these elements in terms of uh, the, the, the ideas that we should be thinking about with regards to how we function as a church. And we've been using this picture of the periodic table, and uh, as we've seen, the elements go together in ways that make great compounds, and some are really strong, and some are not so strong. And uh, this element this morning is interesting because it's one of the first ones that really touches on something that we don't want to be touched, and that is our stuff, our time our things, and our convenience. The element is stewardship. And when we talk about stewardship, it ruffles our feathers a bit because we are asking us, we are asking ourselves to think about what we think of as mine, and we're asking all of us to consider how can I make it theirs? How can I use what is mine to impact the lives of those people that are around me? Whether it's time or gifts or uh, conveniences or uh, your, uh, your very energy, your, your life energy, your, your talents certainly includes your money as well. But we're going to be talking about how we can have a better mind towards uh, being stewards of the things that God has entrusted to us. And when it comes down to it, what it really is, it's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of how you see God, how you see your relationship with Him, and how you see your stuff in relationship to Him and the people that are around you. And so we're going to spend some time this morning thinking about those things. We're going to end up in Acts chapter, four, Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 again, but I don't want to go there quite yet. So far, we have seen a series of these elements. We started with discipleship, which is maybe one of the most foundational because as Christians, Our life exists to become more and more like Jesus. When you put your faith in Christ for the first time, you are putting your faith in a man whom now you are following. So we sometimes talk about ourselves as being Christ followers. So discipleship is an important element because it drives us uh, in our thinking towards the end goal, which is one day you and I standing before the Father and us perfectly reflecting the character and the nature of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the element of discipleship. Then we moved on to worship, and worship is, is the most broad and all-reaching of elements because at the very moment of life, we have a very specific purpose, and that is to bring honor and glory to our God. I appreciated uh, Pastor Bill's uh, prayer this morning because he brought this to it, our attentions, that, that in all things, Christ is to be exalted, and the end of all time, Christ is going to exalt all things up to the Father so that God is above all and in all and through all for all times. And our life, our very heartbeat exists so that we can do this through our lives, the way that we live, through the way we talk. That was the, wor- the element of worship. Last week, we talked about relationship. 
and the important connection we have with each other. One of the best ways that we can connect with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ is around the communion table. So at the end of the service today, we're going to celebrate communion together, and it's one of the only times that all of us can gather in a room and have the most sacred and special meal that we can possibly have, a meal that reminds us about the broken body of Christ, a meal that reminds us about the shed blood of the Lord Jesus, and a a praise of the redemption that we have found in Him. We're going to do that at the end of our service this morning. Today, though, in this text, we're going to look at the element of stewardship. When we think about stewardship, we are really thinking about how we manage the things we have, how we steward or uh, how do we keep in charge of the things that we have. Now, some of you may be thinking, this is great. We just brought on a new pastor. Three weeks in, he is already trying to take our money. Um, I am trying to take your money, but that's not entirely what we're trying to take this morning. What we're trying to take is your time, your energy, your talents, your passions, your, your goals, your joys, your, your, your whole person. We as the body of Christ at Boca Community, we want all of that to be invested in the life of the church. Why? Because what that does is it radiates out the glory of God in all things that we do outside of this church. Now, We would say this is the greatest time for us to gather as a church family, but we are living for the glory of God in our communities, in our workplaces. We are being trained and equipped and challenged and and, uh, lifted up here so that we can go out there and actually live. It'd be great if this was all of our life, but this isn't, is it? We've got other things to worry about, other things to manage, other things to steward. And the Lord wants us to have the proper perspective with regards to stewardship as we come forward and move together as a family. So when I think about stewardship, I think of satisfying the needs of others together. When we are talking about stewardship, we're talking about how do we go about satisfying the needs of others together. In order to think clearly about this, we need to look at the paradigm of stewardship. A paradigm is kind of the pieces or the parts that makes uh, an argument sound or a, a, a value system work. And there are two main paradigm pieces that we want to focus on when we think about stewardship. The first, most critical, is that God owns and provides. God owns and God provides. If you start from the very beginning of Scripture, if you work all the way through, what you see is a God who owns all things. You see a God who knows all things, he sees all things, but all things are his. And if we have anything, we are just borrowing, we are managing, we are stewarding the things that he has given to us. But God is also good in that not only does he own it all, but he provides. He hands out to those who are in need. He gives us everything we need. In one of the greatest handoffs of uh, leadership in all times, a handoff from King David to Solomon, the one from Pastor Bill Mitchell to Pastor Matthew McDaniel was pretty good, but the one just before that, King David in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Now, how many of you just, I'm curious, how many of you actually have paper Bibles that you're turning in pages right now? How many of you are trying to get to this passage right now? And you're a little frustrated that I ask you to keep raising your hand, trying to get there? How many of you use like an electronic Bible of some kind, phone, iPad? And one last question, how many of you take notes? Okay, good. First Chronicles chapter 29, David is towards the end of his life. 
he is handing the reins over to his son Solomon, and he's trying to wrap up his ministry as he's handing it off, and he blesses the Lord in this passage in First Chronicles chapter 29. Pick up with me in verse 10. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty, for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have given, uh, and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there's no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. David had completed a remarkable task. He had collected a lot of resources in order to build the temple that God said, you're not allowed to build, your son will build. Now he is handing off the reins to Solomon, but in the blessing, it is sprinkled. You, you saw it throughout. It's permeated with this idea that, God, you are sovereign. You are the provider. You are the giver. Everything we have is yours. Even the things we're giving back to you are actually yours to begin with, and we thank you for that. We praise you for that. If we want to have the right paradigm towards stewardship, we need to change our thinking with regards to the stuff that we have, with regards to the gifts that we have, the talents, the time, any resource that you think is valuable in your life. All of it is a gift from a God who owns all things, and we just rest in that. As a church, too, I, I am keenly aware of the fact that you are a gift from the Lord to this church, that this building is a gift from the Lord to this church. That our staff, that, that all of the things we do, whether it's financial or not, everything is a gift from the Lord, and our job is to realize that it is a gift from Him, and we are not owners of it, but rather we are stewards of it. And we need to have this mindset in our hearts and our thoughts all the time so that we don't misuse, mishandle, waste, or squander. Lord God, help us have a thought, a mind that sees you as the center of all things. Secondly, because we are not the owners, God is, our job is to manage and to share. We manage and we share. It's like when someone's given you something to take care of for them for a while. Because you know it's not yours, it's theirs, you tend to take care of it a little bit better, or at least we hope. If you're letting somebody borrow your car, or you're letting somebody stay in your house, or you're letting somebody watch your dog, or you're, you're entrusting something of value to someone else, typically, 
you would trust that they're going to take care of it, but as the recipient, hopefully they're realizing this is not mine, this is theirs, and I need to treat it more cautiously and more carefully. Certainly when I receive something that I'm holding for someone else, I wouldn't treat it like it's my own. We need, we need to realize in the midst of all that we're doing that we are managers of what God has given us. And the responsibility of a manager with regards to God's economy is that in the same way that he owns and gives, we are managing and giving. We are managing and sharing. This is the paradigm of the steward. God owns it all. How can I use it for his glory? It's not so much taking what he's giving, giving to us and using it for my pleasure, but rather taking it and using it, allowing him to use me for his pleasure as I'm impacting the lives of the people around me. How far off are we from this mindset? How far? When you think about your understanding of the things you have, now when I... There is a natural gravitational t- pull, pull towards this being a talk about money. And money, money is certainly involved in it. But what about your time? What about your emotional bank account? What about your willingness to engage in the people around you, your convenience? What about your skills, your education, your talents, your passions? All of these these are things that God has given to you and you need to hold them and steward them because he's entrusted them to you, but you also need to share them and give them. Wouldn't it be bad if at the end of life we are all there in heaven realizing that all of us are spiritual hoarders? That we have padded our pockets and our minds and our hearts with so many things to self-insulate ourselves, but in the end, that's not the point of it. The point of stuff is not to get more. The point of stuff is to have to share. If we are to be stewards of what God has given us, we need to realize that God owns and provides. And our job is to manage and share. But how do we do this? How do we look at this? What's the pattern that we need to follow? And that's when we're going to turn back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We've been using Acts chapter 1 to 6 as a a context for this series because it's in this time period in life that, uh, in history rather, that God's Spirit is moving in in phenomenal ways to establish a church, to unite a people, and to uh, create a, a launching pad for the gospel as it spreads out throughout the world. You and I are here because of what God is doing here. And I want to look particularly at these passages through the eyes of the steward. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. This is just after the Spirit of God fills the church for the first time. They speak in tongues. Peter stands up and he preaches. Thousands come to Christ. 3,000, Luke records for us. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders, or wonders and signs, were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, 
attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and what? Generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Jump over to Acts chapter 4. In verse 32, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them. And they brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him, and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. If we continue in chapter 5, which we're not going to do right now, we hear of Ananias and Sapphira, who did the same thing. They sold their land. They kept back some that would benefit themselves, and they laid the rest at the apostles' feet. Do you remember what happened? He died, and then she died. Um, I, don't, I don't suggest that be happening this morning during our offering giving, not that we're collecting offerings in service anymore. But there's a severity to the gift in this chapter, that... There was a seriousness about the fact that they were sharing all that they had and being honest about it. It was a heart issue for sure. But I want to look at Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 as a pattern for how we can think about stewardship in ways that are more God-honoring. And I see four things with regards to the pattern. First, I see uh, the priority. It's interesting that early on, one of the first fruits of the... um, One of the first fruits of the moving of the Spirit in the lives of the people is generosity. That they saw each other as needing, they saw each other as a support network for each other. I was thinking about it even this morning that it shouldn't surprise us that this is what they were doing because this is how Jesus functioned with his disciples. Remember Judas, uh, the one that betrayed him, he was responsible for the money back. So there was an idea of a shared experience among even the disciples that they collected money, they had money, and they had it in case they needed to buy food or take care of resources. But Judas was pillaging from that, which was the problem, among other things. But here in the first century, we see them taking on that same idea of a shared resource, but they were blowing it up to a community level. 5,000 people living in a sense of shared community. Now, we could get into political, governmental people politic conversations right here about what this actually would mean if it actually was happening this way, not suggesting that we move in this direction, but think about the heart of the people. They saw as first priority, I needed to get my things into your hands if you had a need. I needed to sacrifice myself for your sake if I had the resource to do it. It was a priority for them. Coupled with that, there is a great deal of sensitivity with regards to their stuff. People were literally selling their things and meeting the needs of others. How many times have you seen a need in a person next to you and said, you know what, I've got some clothes I'm going to sell and I'm going to take the cash and I'm going to go meet this need. 
We sometimes do that. But is that really the first thought in our mind? If there's a, a need presented to us in some other way, maybe it might be a volunteer, maybe it might be uh, a help with a flat tire, maybe it might be some other pressing need that's in front of you, do you have in your heart the first uh, bit of sensitivity that says, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and help? Or do you think, man, I feel badly for them? Jen and I were getting our morning Starbucks, driving around the parking lot. We had just spent, what, $57 for a small coffee and a tea. <laughs> we're pulling around the, the parking lot, and there's a guy, obviously, in a seriously bad situation. Not He wasn't physically harmed, but he was shaking. He was holding his go- cart. He was trying to take care of his things that he had in there. And uh, obviously, because we're heartless, we drove by. But in my mind, I think, we have it so easy. And why is it not in my heart something that causes me to stop and get out of my car and say, hey, sir, what, what can I do? What can I give? What can I sell? How can I help? That's, that's shame on me. But how often do we go through our day not with severe things like that, but simple things? Somebody heartbroken about a relationship, somebody saddened about the way that their children are acting, somebody struggling because they realize they can't get to the end of the month with the money they have, that they don't know where they're going in life, that they're trying to figure out what their vision is, that they're going away on a missions trip, and they just need some extra help, support, strength, encouragement. How often do we let those situations go by? Why? Because we're not sensitive. It seems like those in the first century, both in chapter 2 and chapter 4, they're sensitive to the needs of the others. And in fact, Luke says that there were no needs at all. Why? Not because they were perfect people. There were no needs at all because all of their needs were being satisfied by the community. They were willingly seen, they were seen and they were willingly sacrificing for the sake of others. And I've said this, and I'll say it many, many times in our years together. One of our biggest problems as Christians is we are not aware. We are not aware of the needs of the people around us. We're not aware of the presence of God. We're not aware of the new life that we have in Christ. We are not aware. And so we go on distracted by other things rather than just stopping and letting our heart be moved in compassion towards people around us. A steward is one that sees giving as a priority and is sensitive to the needs of the people around them. But thirdly, in this pattern, we see a great deal of generosity. Selling their stuff, being with one heart and soul, understanding that there's a need that I can sacrifice to meet, inconveniencing myself for the sake of the person next to me, reaching outside of myself for them. God, change our hearts. Change our hearts that we would see and that we would move. First century church was a generous church. They were a generous church. But they were also an accountable church. There's there's a, a sense of accountability here. In this scenario, they sold, Ananias and Sapphira sold their property. They held back some of it and in dishonesty laid the rest of it in front of the apostles' feet. So there was an act of trust. They were being generous, but they were being deceitfully generous and they died. I don't think so much that we need to worry about the dying part because that typically does not happen when we don't give. 
when we don't sacrifice ourselves. But what I like in this is that there is an awareness that the people would sell their stuff, they would give it to the apostles for distribution, which later becomes an issue. We'll talk about that next week when we talk about leadership. There was a problem in the distribution, or there wasn't. They were, they were trusting them to distribute the, the needs as, as, or distribute to the needs as they saw them. But they were entrusting themselves, and they trusted that the apostles were responsible for that, and they were. But they were also held accountable for their gifts. And I just, I want us to just kind of think about this pattern. And if it's anywhere close to what we are living out in the lives that we are living in Christ. So what is our plan? Four things. First, we, our plan needs to be, it, it needs to include a, a spirit of acknowledging the giver. We need to acknowledge the giver. We've already determined God is the giver. We need to acknowledge him. But on a personal level, we need to be more aware of what we are receiving from the people around us. We need to be quick to say thank you, to express appreciation for something given, something shared, something expended on our behalf. I can say with a clear conscience, I am thankful for this church, for all that you do week in and week out to provide for what we're doing. I realize every time I spend something on behalf of the church that I'm spending something that you sacrifice for. As a church, we're going into a, a budget cycle here, and I'm talking with the staff, reminding them, hey, listen, this is not our stuff. People have given for us. We can't just waste it. We have to use it to the best of our abilities for the glory of God and the continuation of the gospel. Yes, we want to see this church expanded. Yes, we want to see more done and, and greater things done. But we're doing this at the sacrifice of the congregation. We need to say thank you for that. And I say this morning, thank you for that. We also need to be, just be mindful all the time that we are constantly acknowledging the God that provides for us. We need to have spirit that, that does this. Second, we need to be noticing the needs. As I said a moment ago, it's, it's, it's too infrequent that I go through my day without being sensitive to the people around me. And I think primarily it is because I'm aware of one thing and that is me. I'm aware of my, my things, my thoughts, my priorities. I'm thinking about where I'm going and what I'm doing and what's occupying my emotions. And I need to change that thinking. I need to reverse that so that I'm thinking out about what the needs are around me, obvious and not so obvious. Sometimes there's obvious needs. A homeless person on the, the, the side of the street, the car wreck on the side of the road, those are obvious things, but what about the not so obvious? What about those things that require us to actually listen and pay attention and ask a follow-up question and allow them to talk rather than talk yourself? How often do we take the time just to notice what the need is before we even get to the place of changing our hearts to, uh, to satisfy it? We need to notice the needs of those around us. If you were with us a couple years ago, you might have participated in that reverse offering that Pastor Bill led us through where he gave us money as the members of the congregation to go out and share it. And that exercise I've done in other settings as well. In fact, if you were sitting in my car right now, there's a $20 uh, Publix gift card sitting in the visor of my window. I was supposed to give it away about a month and a half ago. I'm keeping it there because every time I see it out of the corner of my eye, it triggers my thought. I'm supposed to give that stupid thing. 
I'm supposed to be aware of the people around me as I'm driving. I'm supposed to see it. I'm supposed to be thinking about these things. I I leave it there, not because I'm going to spend it. I leave it there because it's a reminder for me. We need to be noticing the needs of the people around us, and we need to have alert eyes to the obvious and not-so-obvious ways that other people can benefit from what we can bring, and we can all bring something. Third, we need to be moving to share. Writer of James says, what, is, what good is it if you see a brother in need and you say, God bless you, be warm and be fed, but you don't do anything to help? Think about that. How many times do you see a need, you have the resources to fix it, and you don't? You just say, well, God bless you, I'll be praying for you, brother or sister. James says that is evidence of no faith. And I think, ah, that is so inconvenient, James. It is so unrealistic for me to constantly be thinking about ways that I can actually do something to help people. God says, see the need, meet the need. See the need, satisfy the need. We need to be constantly moving to share. Talking about our church family, it's our job on this side of the platform to communicate to you the needs that we have as a congregation. It's your responsibility in addition to us on that side of the platform to respond and say, God, how can I help in this situation? It might be volunteering, serving. It might be giving. It might be a big one-time gift. It might be increasing a regular giving. But our job is to bring the needs forward, also discerning whether or not they're actually legitimate needs. We need to be wise and stewards in, in our ideas as well. But we collectively are then saying, how can we accomplish this goal? Is this goal something that we want to accomplish? And can we band together to gather our resources to make these things happen? This is the relationship of stewardship. God, help us to have hearts that move to share and not move to keep. And lastly, we need to develop a habit of stewardship. I'm talking about giving in particular. Some of you give just on a regular basis. It's a a regular habit. Research says that anybody my age and above, you give because you're guilty, because you are told every week, if you don't tithe 10%, you are pretty much going to hell. So you might as well give it at the beginning and save yourself from some uncomfortable living later. Just give, give, give. So the 50s and older, you're pretty much giving out of, out of habit because that's what scared into you early in life. Everyone below that, you haven't developed a habit of that. I'm not saying everybody. I'm generalizing, obviously. But most young people have not developed a habit of regular giving to the church. They see needs and they give and sacrifice in other ways. They give to causes. They give to movements. They give to organizations. But by and large, lots of younger people just don't have the habit of giving. It is really good for me to know that the first part of my paycheck that you give to me goes right back to the church. Just as a matter of habit, I don't even think about it. I've set it up in the app already and it just comes out. Now, some of you say, well, that's really not an act of worship because you're not aware of it. I see it, I know it, and I know I'm giving back because that's a habit I've established. We need to develop habits like that as a church so that we're constantly giving to the cause. I, I really, really love podcasts. Uh, there are a number of podcasts that I listen to every single week. 
but I have not subscribed financially to any of them. Isn't that pathetic? I reap incredible benefits from the time, the energy, the talents, the input of these people, and I do zero to pay them for their service. When I'm looking for a new app, I want one that's free. When they start charging me for it, I get mad. Why? Because I want, but I don't want to give. And I tell you, that is absolutely ridiculous. This afternoon, I've got to subscribe to those. I can't believe I said that out loud, because now I've actually got to go subscribe. Some of you subscribe to this body, but you don't do anything to give to it. You may come and attend, and you may take, but you're not regularly subscribing to the value that you're getting. I trust that you're getting value. Maybe some of us need to be thinking about the ways that we give just as a habit to the weekly life of the church. I came into this sermon not, no, I came into this sermon with the desire that this did not end up becoming a fundraising message, and that's really not where my heart is. My heart is that I would want us to be people that just go through life with eyes that are not self-centered, but eyes that are looking out for the needs of the people and the things around us. And that we would, by God's movement of the Spirit, be changed to look outward and to do something, to change a habit and to build a habit. The element of stewardship is satisfying the needs of others together. So the closing question then is, what's your plan? What practical step will you take today to prioritize the element of stewardship in your walk with Christ? What practical step will you take today? I would love to answer that for you, but I can't. What are you going to do today? In addition to other things, I need to go subscribe to those podcasts. But what are you going to do today to prioritize the element of stewardship in your life? We're going to get ready for communion here in a moment, but let's go to the Lord in prayer about this issue before gathering around the table. Lord in heaven, we are mindful of you being the giver. You have given us everything. You have given us all things. All things are in your, in your hands. They're under your control. And God, you are gracious to share. And Father, I pray that we would be people that model that same sense of generosity with others. I pray that you would move in our spirits to, to open our eyes, our hearts, to the needs of those around us, not just in this community, but as we go throughout our day in our workplaces and our schools. I pray, Father, for the students that are leaving this week for the missions trip, that that this sense of stewardship would really weigh on them as they're giving, that they would see not just the project, but they would see the heart of the person they're touching. I pray, Father, that we would be changed in this. We don't want to be spiritual hoarders. We do not want to be self-centered. We do not want to be takers. Help us, Father, in ways that are impactful to prioritize this element in our life this week. And we look to the ways that you're going to bring glory and honor to yourself through that. We pray that in Christ's precious name. Amen. Last Sunday, Jan and I were invited to a church family's uh, family get-together. It was uh, It was special. It was family in every way that you would expect it to be family. 
sitting around, enjoying food, talking, connecting, involving each other in lives. And it was really, really special. The communion table is our family get together. It's the one time that all of us, 800 people come together. We sit down and we look at the same bread. We look at the same cup and we reflect and we remember about the one thing that unites us all. And that is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That night, the Lord had invested so much in his disciples' lives. And he gathered that night because he wanted to spend this last meal with them before he died, before he suffered. He knew very well what was coming. And he wanted to experience this with them before he went to heaven. And so for generations, Christians have gathered on regular basis to experience this, the bread, the cup, a bread, piece of bread to remind us of the broken body of Christ. The Apostle Paul tells us that every time you do this, you are declaring the coming kingdom. You're reflecting on the suffering of Christ. In some traditions, when you're actually eating this bread, you're actually eating Jesus. Not saying that because that's what we believe. I'm saying that because for many, this is one of the most sacred things that we could possibly do. For us, we eat and we drink because it's the community of faith glorifying God and reflecting on the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. So I invite you. They're a little bit hard to handle at times, but if you peel back the the thin plastic piece, you can get the bread out. I encourage you to get that out in one hand and then take the cup in the other so that you have both at the ready. That night with his disciples, Jesus knew what was coming. He knew that his body would be beaten. He knew that he would be marred beyond recognition. He knew that he would be nailed to a cross. He knew that his body would be temporarily destroyed. And as he was with his disciples, he said, take this bread. As you eat it, remember me and declare my reigning, my my kingdom. Let's take the bread together. And the word says he took the cup and he said, this is a cup of a new covenant. I can't not look at the cup and think about what it would have been like the first Passover in Exodus where God says to the people, all of the firstborn will die unless you take the blood of a lamb and you paint it across the doorpost of your home. The wrath of God was upon us And the blood of Christ was painted upon us so that the wrath of God might pass over us and land on him instead. And he says, this is the blood of a new covenant. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. It is declaring my greatness. Let's take together. Father, you are great. What a great and generous God that you offered your son to us. 
And we as brothers and sisters in Christ, thousands of years later, can now experience this moment where we gather as a family and we honor and we praise you because you are a great God who has offered a great sacrifice, who has paid for all of our sin and given us new life. I pray, God, that we would not leave unchanged from this. Make us more like your son, Jesus. And we pray this in his precious name, the name of Jesus, our Lamb of God. Amen.